Howdy and welcome to the 10-week Bible study. This is week two, day five of our study of Joshua. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Joshua 6, 15 through 27. Well, welcome back to the 10-week Bible study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God? Fascinate us with your word. We want to encounter you today in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Joshua 6, starting in verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Okay, so remember, they have marched around the city once a day for six days. And I'm thinking by the time they've gotten around six times, day seven is starting, and all of the residents of Jericho are like, okay, these people are crazy, they're idiots, have no idea what they're doing, but I'm... I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to bet they were maybe ready to mount an assault. Maybe they're thinking they're going to wait them out. I mean, there's got to be like so many things going on in their heads. Like what on earth are they doing? This doesn't make any sense. Maybe they were terrified. Who knows? I would imagine that after six times around the city and them doing nothing and then coming back on a seventh day that the people inside the city, they, we know that all of the people are terrified. Rahab's told us that. I would just assume that after this, they're a little less intimidated by the Israelites. Maybe the first day or two, they're slightly intimidated. They see the numbers. They see their, their weapons and all this kind of stuff. But then by day seven, there's got to be something in them. I would just imagine that every single person in the city is like, you know, what is going on? What are they doing? This doesn't make any sense. All right, verse 17. The city and all that is in it are, are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in, the, in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. Foreshadowing, this is, um, is going to come up very soon. This, uh, this issue of taking the devoted thing. So the way this works, right? If you're in an army in these days and you go in and you conquer a city or you raid, you know, a, a city or whatever, you take their stuff. You, you go and you conquer the city and you get to keep the land, but you also get to keep their stuff. You're taking their things. And this is something that continues on to this day. I mean, when people raid and conquer places, it's not just about having the land or controlling the land and resources also about taking their stuff. It always has been, and it will continue to be, I'm sure in perpetuity. And in this case, Joshua is saying, the Lord says, don't touch any of the stuff, any of the nice things in Jericho. You're not allowed to keep it. Otherwise, essentially you're going to curse yourself and curse all of us. If you touch any of this, now, all of the rest of the places that they conquer, all the rest of the places they take, um, they are, they're going to go from city to city and they're going to destroy the city, burn it to the ground, all of this kind of stuff, kill the inhabitants. Um, 
but they're allowed to take their stuff. And so they are enriching themselves, providing for themselves. This is the provision the Lord said he would make for them. But in Jericho, he's like, don't touch any of it. Verse 19. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So all of this stuff is being dedicated to the Lord, you know, for the Levites, for the tabernacle, all of that. That's where all of this, uh, all of the valuables are going. Verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. So here it is. This is after seven days of this, they marched around seven times. And then all of a sudden, the walls just fall down. And again, going back to Joshua meeting the captain of the, the Lord's army, there's something unseen going on here. Now, was there an earthquake that caused the walls to collapse? Perhaps, right? Maybe that's what caused the walls to collapse. Even if it was a natural phenomenon that happened, like an earthquake that caused the walls to collapse, it was still predicted by Joshua. Joshua was like, we're going to march seven days. And on the seventh day, we're going to march seven times. And when I tell you to shout, the Lord's going to give us the city. So even if an earthquake, I mean, like the Lord supernaturally has authority over the natural, over the natural order of things. We've already seen that in the, the damming up of the Jordan River when they crossed over. There's some kind of natural thing going on that caused it to dam, or most likely caused it to dam up earthquake or whatever. Maybe this is another earthquake, but it happens at the moment that Joshua said it was going to happen, right? So this is not just a coincidence. You know, this this really happened. The Lord really did this for the, the, the Israelites and the walls of Jericho, right? They fell over. So instead of how you would normally take a walled city by building siege ramps over months, or, or finding some other way in, they just march around it. They do no work that you would expect them to do other than the act of faith, which is doing the walking around the city. And then when they do that, when they shout as they were commanded, the walls just collapse. And Josh was like, all right, go on in, go do your thing. This is truly remarkable. I mean, this is so crazy how the Lord orchestrates these things, right? When we think about faith, and people will will call this, I think, one of the main ways that the Bible speaks of faith is actually going and doing things. I've heard so many people through the years call that legalism or things like that. And, and to think that this is some form of legalism, right? The people of Israel, they did not have to rip the walls of Jericho down. They're not doing the work involved. They're doing the work, right? The activity that is defined as faith in this instance is walking around the city. They're not doing the work of pulling the walls down. So it, 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 when the Lord is calling us to action, right? Sometimes it can be the actual thing that we need to do, but the activity, right? We're never the ones responsible for, you know, people getting saved or for amazing things happening. Like the Lord provides for us. The Lord is doing the hard work. He's just asking us to take that step of faith and do the small thing. 
in relation to what the Lord is actually doing behind the scenes and moving things around and all these kinds of things happening, that's the hard work. In relation to that, the things that the Lord normally asks us to do are the easy work. They're the simple things. Just, just go and do this, and then you'll see my provision. That's how the Lord's kingdom normally works, is that when he's asking us to step out in faith, it may seem huge to us. It may seem ridiculous. It may seem like this is, there's no way, right? For all of the Israelites, it's like, okay, we're going to march around the city seven times and then something's going to happen. What? I don't know that I want to do that, right? It's, it's, it's really simple what they've been asked to do, but mentally, right? This is actually quite a stretch. It's like, Joshua, we are on a military campaign. We need to destroy the city. How is this going to help? right? It's not. It's There's no way this is going to help. But this is the way the Lord orchestrates things, right? We do the simple, sometimes silly thing. Now, I'm not saying do weird, silly things for the sake of being weird and silly, but I mean, like, that's what it looks like sometimes. It doesn't make any sense, right? Building an ark for a hundred years, that doesn't make any sense, Right? It's never rained and you're building a boat that's going to save you from the rain. Right, These things don't make any sense. But it's the way the Lord, the Lord orchestrates it. And very often the, the faith activity is not like le- this legalistic thing where we're trying to, to get everything we can and make it all happen, manipulate things. Right, They're not trying to figure out how can we pull the walls down, how can we get in. They're just doing the simple thing that the Lord told them to do. And the simple thing, I mean, you know, it's pain, walking around the city, you know, hard on the feet, hard on the knees. They've done it 13 times by the time it's all over, right? So it's not just nothing, but in the grand scheme of things, it's it's pretty small compared to what the Lord does here. Verse 21, they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. <clears throat> now, I want to pause right here because this, this right here, and what we're going to see over and over throughout Joshua, this is going to happen multiple times where every person, man, woman, and child is, is destroyed, is killed. A lot of people take a lot of issue with this. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, this is something made famous by kind of what I call the angry atheists the the people that I like to say they you know there is no God and I hate him those types of people these academics have kind of proposed the the idea that this God of the Old Testament is commanding Joshua and the Israelites to go and actually kill everyone that uh, you know he is this mega maniacal killer and no one should be worshiping this God and if you just kind of like take this if you just carve this out of the narrative of the scripture. Then I think you can you you can kind of maybe begin to come to that conclusion. But if you're honest, if you look at at all of Scripture, you look at the context that this is in and why the Lord's doing it, then it it doesn't look like that at all. And the issue with that is is there are lots of pastors nowadays, even famous pastors, huge pastors with large influence, they've bought into this idea that, oh my gosh, this stuff is kind of reprehensible. I don't like the idea of God telling them to go and kill everyone. Ugh, I, I don't like that. I can't, I can't deal with that. But if we go back in time here, 
And we read the scripture in its narrative just a little bit before this. If we start with Abraham and we continue forward over and over again, the Lord is saying these people in this area, the Amorites specifically is what he talks to Abraham about. I can't give you the land of the Amorites yet, right? You can't have it, right? It belongs to them. They've lived here, but they are growing in their wickedness. And generation by generation, this wickedness is going to increase. So he tells Abraham in 400 years, it's going to take, they are super wicked now, super wicked. But in 400 years, their wickedness is going to be off the charts. And when that happens, then I will use Israel to destroy them and wipe them in their wickedness from the face of the earth. These people are totally depraved. We're talking about uh, temple shrine prostitution. We're talking about ritual prostitution and things like that. We're talking about child sacrifice. I mean, they're taking their children and sacrificing them alive in fire to the gods to get better harvests and whatever else over and over. And I mean, you know, we see the things like Sodom and Gomorrah and Sodom and Gomorrah in some cases is, is like, that's nothing compared to what these people are doing now. We have to understand that these people are irredeemably wicked. The Lord is saying they are irredeemably wicked. I want to essentially like the flood, every thought that they have all the time is wicked. And so I'm just going to clean the earth. I'm going to cleanse the earth of these people and their wicked thoughts because they've become irredeemably wicked. The Lord is essentially saying the same thing about these people. They become irredeemably wicked. I don't want you to leave them because they will influence you. And they will continue to influence the people around them. They are heinously wicked. The things that they were doing, right? If you were under the thumb of these people, you wouldn't be like, you know, I mean, they, they're not all that bad. And maybe just their environment has caused them to do some, some terrible things. No, if you were under the thumb of these people, you would be crying out to God saying, God, why are you allowing these wicked, evil people to persist and do all these terrible things? When we look at the history of mankind, the way that people have treated other people and the way they've abused and used them, that's the story of history. And what is going on with Israel is coming in and getting rid of that and trying to start over in this land and cleanse this land with laws and with righteousness. That's really the story of history, right? That there's a people and there's a God over this people that wants to cleanse the land from wickedness and replace it with righteousness, righteous judgment. In in modern times, we live under that more than we live under the, the auspices of what was supplanted by that which is human nature. Human nature is like, hey, if I have the might, if I have the power, I'm just going to use and abuse you and, and, and get what I want. And if you are what I want, then I'm going to use and abuse you and I'll use you to get whatever else I want. Like that is human nature. That's what people do. And the Lord is eliminating that. These people are, in God's words, irredeemably wicked. And so he's telling them to get rid of them. 
So you can't understand what's going on here, what, what's happening with Jericho, with all the rest of these cities in Joshua. You can't read this divorced from the context of why the Lord is doing this. If you do that, we'll make huge mistakes in understanding what's going on. All right, verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron in the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives amongst the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, Cursed before the Lord is anyone who undertakes to rebuild this city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. And I want to uh, read in First Kings, this actually happened in Ahab's time, this curse took hold. So this is 1 Kings 16.34. In Ahab's time, Hile of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. So I find that fascinating, right? The, the Joshua curses the city. There was something about Jericho. And I always, I wonder, it doesn't say this, but I wonder, you know, its relation, it's actually close geographically to where Sodom and Gomorrah were in the plains of the Dead Sea, uh, of, the, of the Jordan River. So I wonder if this was, of all the cities in Israel, if this was the worst of all of these Amorite cities that the Lord spoke about. So maybe that's why Joshua cursed the city. And this curse actually lays hold when someone tries to rebuild it. Exactly what Joshua said would happen, happened. I find that incredibly fascinating. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-week Bible study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.